This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the MindPod Network. My guest today is Evan Sterling, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Evan before we get into our conversation that I'm very jazzed to get into. Evan grew up in Ojai, California, a mile from the home of rebel spiritualist Jiddu Krishnamurti. He's one of my personal favorites. Evan's great aunt was Paramahansa Yogananda's personal assistant and driver for a year at the Mount Washington Ashram in 1949. His father, when he was six years old, also met Yogananda, so the thread of spirituality was woven into Evan's life experience long before he became aware of its richness and beauty. During his teen years, in the 80s, Evan was a pioneer of the hardcore hard, hardcore skateboarding and American hardcore punk rock scenes. If there's going to be any part of your bio, how am I messing that up? It's so near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Anyways, he skated, played in bands, went to shows, and today acknowledges his place as a part of the greater movement. The same spirit guided him as he entered his life in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction and ultimately into his life as a spiritualist. Eben has worked at the iconic Thrasher skateboarding magazine, another huge favorite of mine since I was a way little tyke since 1993. And the first three years of which, and this is interesting because I look forward to diving into this with you, he was completely trashed. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but in 1996, he got sober following a period of spiritual disillusionment after his maternal grandmother died of a stroke and his best friend died from alcohol and drug addiction. The pain of that loss combined with the demoralization of addiction was ultimately transformed into a meaningful spiritual connection for Evan. And for the past 19 and a half years, he has used his story and his connection with God to perform personal one-on-one transformational work with drug addicts and alcoholics. Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks, brother. I'm so stoked to be doing this. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank you. The, yeah. the pleasure is all mine. Uh, for for those who don't know, which is pretty much anybody listening or watching, uh, Evan and I connected. What was it? A couple of years now, right? I think. Yeah, roughly. I think so. um, yeah, probably 2014. Yeah, and I actually I was thinking about that today. Um, a few hours ago, while I was making lunch, I'm like, oh, I'm psyched to talk to you. We've never actually met face to face, minus a, a brief Skype call earlier to test the connection. Yeah. Um. But it was interesting how our paths crossed. Like we, I, if I remember correctly, my publisher sent my first book to Thrasher magazine because I wanted more than any other publication they were sending for reviews was they were like, what's your dream one? And I'm like, Thrasher, you know, and <laughs> they sent it. They're like, you know, it's probably not going to happen. And I was like, I know, but so what? And so you, I didn't hear anything for a while. And then I got a nice message from you. You just, I don't know if I'm even clear on what happened on here. And did you just... See a copy there in the office or, you know, the funny thing is I know it all was through Facebook. Yeah. People might think that's trite, but I just see it as a great, uh, communication device. Yes. You know, and, um, that's basically where our relationship has developed has been through 
Mark Zuckerberg's creation. <laughs> oh, Mark. Book, baby. You know, so it's all good. I don't know. I mean, somehow I saw some stuff of yours on. I know that we still email through Facebook. I, I know, so right? I know that, <laughs> that it has a lot to do with that, you know? Yeah. I, I joke often with my wife, like how Facebook is like the devil, but really it's so goddamn convenient for staying in touch with people and meeting awesome people, you know? Yeah. Like, so it is what it is, you know, technology. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, as far as the story goes, yeah, I think that I must have, you know, liked you on Facebook basically and started seeing your posts. And because I'm the kind of person that just jumps in on spiritual connections, yeah. you know, I just, I don't, you know, that's a punk rock lesson. You know, the guys on the stage are the same as the guys in the audience and the yes. girls. So yeah. If I see somebody I like spirit talking about spiritual matters, I'll just reach out and connect them one-on-one, -on -one, you yeah. know? So I started commenting on things and we built a relationship yes. uh, through that process. Um, and of course, I don't know if you're going to go on to say it, but I ended up having the opportunity to review the book, uh, read the book and review it uh, along with Noah Levine's uh, Heart of the Revolution. Right. Another I think thing. I did those two together and it was rad because we do a zine review, Thrash, of course, being DIY punk rock based skateboarding culture yeah. uh we still you know promote the the home zines so i got to sneak in your guys books in the <laughs> zine section which is where we do the reviews of printed matter but i thought it was perfect you know and this is a message i want to bring to the skateboarders of the world you know yeah and you know first of all thank you for that because on a, on a very selfish kind of note that meant so much to me you know like i remember the first person I told was my brother. I sent him a picture because he also he's two years younger than me, but we both grew up on Thrasher, you know, and yeah. going back to the old Paul Peralta animal chin days and public mm -hmm. domain and all that good stuff and Thrasher magazine. And that was huge. And then you were kind enough to write another really lovely little um, write up on everything. Mine, my second yeah. book. And the cool thing with that was I was on my way to do an event. I was on a bus going up to Maine. I was in Connecticut at the time going to Maine. And I got a voicemail from a friend who has a subscription to Thrasher. And he's like, dude, yeah. I just got the new issue and your book's in it. And I, I knew you were going to do it, but I, yeah. I didn't know it was out yet. And yeah. it was so rad, man. So I'm big, yeah. grateful. But what the, more than that, we have established a friendship. And I think that's yeah. awesome that you can do that through yeah. things like social media. Yeah, I don't see it as trite at all. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I think people get intimidated by it. They, you know, they, they want to hate on it. But yeah. It's it's just a matter of communication, you know. Yeah. It's just we used to talk on the phone. Yes. Now yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. It's funny because I, you know, there was a huge wave. You know, I'm a geek, and I looked things up on Wikipedia, and I'd gotten this really beautiful Victorian postcard, um, this spiritual, you know, message postcard at this Victorian fair that I'd gone to. So I started reading about. I want to know who the who the artist was and what the deal was because it looked old. I was kind of trying to date it, yeah. you know. And what I realized was. There was this huge wave uh, of the postcard became this thing in the late 1800s. And I realized like it was basically like texting or uh, Instagram of the 1800s. Right. Like it was a big social changing thing that essentially they got these post offices set up and then they'd been sending letters. I mean, obviously that had happened through different things, but they had these post offices in, in Britain and in America. And um, somebody had come to the idea that you take an image Instagram, you know, yes. and you put a little message on it. And it was this revolutionary, really big trend, I guess you'd call it, right. you know, that happened. And I just see that it's no different, man. I mean, people say they take a picture, they write a little note and they'd send it. And back then they had to hand deliver the fucking thing. <laughs> but there was millions of them, you know, and it's, right. it, I mean, honestly, like we make such a big deal about these new platforms of communication, but is it really any different than a postcard? You know what no, I'm saying? I, I do hear what you're saying. I, I do appreciate the rare occasions I'll still get a handwritten letter in the mail there. You know, it's a lost art and I do appreciate yeah. that. But I hear what you're saying. And technology as a whole, man, like there's wonderful recovery groups yeah. online on Facebook or just online and spiritual groups. And so, yeah. I mean, there there is so much good that has come with the bad, you know, both, right. but uh, as with anything in life, right? So, yeah. Well, and I think that it's really a big part of the American story, too. I mean, it's one of the things I think kind of gets glossed over to an extent, yet they mention it, which is that they talk about the pilgrims coming over here and bringing a printing press. Mm. And this whole movement of spirituality in the new world was 
you know, to a large extent, you know, coming out of the old world was this idea that they were going to, you know, they anglicized Christianity. They made it so you could read it in English. They invented the printing press. And all of a sudden, you didn't have to go to these cloistered uh, Latin speaking Catholic priests to hear the word of Jesus. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So they were able to transmit this thing through the written word. They were able to study it one on one and have a Gnostic mystic experience. Um as an individual, you know, in their home or with their family, you know what I mean? Right. And that was really woven into the thread of American history, you know? So um, I, I love that. And, you know, and there's a thing in the, I'm a real big, big book, you know, AA Alcoholics Anonymous. They're, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, they call <laughs> the book Alcoholics Anonymous the big book. Right. So, but anyways, um, it's where they got the name of the fellowship from. So anyways, but there's a, there's a part in the, in the forward, I think to the second edition where they talk about, um, the fat, you know, the, the growth and development of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and, and so there was a period when they had, you know, a hundred people and that's when they wrote the book. And then it got to about, uh, 800 people. Um, and then quickly the book started to get passed out. And all of a sudden within a year, it's all between 1939 and 1941, you know, in a basically a year in 1940 to 1941 or 1941, 1942, it, it, it mushroomed by tenfold to 8,000 mm -hmm. people. And what they realized was that the message, the program, um, the process of recovery that's that is the AA message was able to be transferred via the printed by the printed word yeah. as well as, you know one-on-one, -on -one, which has been really fundamental in my, combining those two things really has been really fundamental in my own recovery and my own spiritual development. So I don't know, you know, yeah. the printed word is literally just another technology. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So goddamn Facebook, bring it on. You know what I mean? We're, we're still writing that, you know, the ironic thing about Facebook and about texting and to where we actually and Instagram and all of these platforms that now are, you know, and Snapchat and all these things that are just the next thing they're writing. I mean, the ironic thing is that we're not even fucking talking anymore. We've gone back to goddamn postcards. You know what I mean? We've gone back to the king writing a missive and giving it to the footman to, you know, in the in the in the wax in the wax stamp and taking right. it, you know, to the Pope. Right, right, right. Like, but that's where we're back at, you know, but yeah. now we call it a, a, an email yes. or a text. I mean, email, that's passe. Uh, <laughs> now we call it a Snapchat. You know what I mean? So, I'm not even up to date on it. Snapchat. Yeah, I'm right. not either. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in by a thread with the Facebook and the Twitter. They're great, but I can't technology and all the yeah. social media stuff. Instagram. Yes. But after that, I haven't, yeah, I tried Periscope and I just I was like, I don't have the time to learn this right yeah. now. And it's because you're married. Are you married? I am married. It's because you're married. <laughs> OK, good point. You yeah, know, yeah, what do I the need technology, you know, we've learned in the last 20 years is mostly uh, powered by either pornography or trying to hook up. Oh, you're being right, a married yeah. person. We don't stay up on technology because we're not trying to get laid. This is a good point. All yeah. set in that department. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to my wife, Ash. Right? What do you think those kids using Snapchat are trying to do, by the way? Well, probably, score, probably score drugs, find the party, and get laid. So Yes, I, I will say yes. I have no <laughs> idea actually what Snapchat is. I've heard of that. I've heard of Tinder. Um, I yeah, don't know what well, they are, that. but like. Yeah. I think Snapchat is basically Instagram, but it disappears. Oh. It's more ephemeral. <laughs> it's great. I know. It's like writing poetry and floating it down the uh, river. <laughs> All right, now I might have to to check it out just to see yeah. what it is. But uh, well, it's more. Yeah, there you go. I'm not getting an account. So, obviously, as people I'm sure can tell from our banter already, couple of dudes in recovery. Yeah. So let's let's talk a bit about that. But let's go back before. What I like to do with my guests usually, unless they're super well known, and I'm sure you're well known in your circles. But like, <laughs> I would love to hear a bit about your backstory like you know yeah. growing up I, you, you incredible that your grandmother was a, a, a personal assistant to yogananda and yeah so let's talk a little bit about your younger years you know because yeah. obviously we didn't start out as people in recovery so yeah. tell me a bit about your younger years and uh, and what life was like yeah. for you out there in california well i mean i can say this growing up in ojai i mean that word to the people that know about it it's like you know it's like taos new mexico or sure. one of these you know just like spiritual centers so i mean there's literally a crystal forest 
Um, a lot of rain. There's a health food market called Rainbow Bridge. Yeah. Um, back when I was a kid, it was called Solar Winds. So health food, meditation, Krishnamurti. You know, the funny thing with the Krishnamurti story is that uh, the theosophists, if people know about the story of Krishnamurti, that, you know, he was connected with this group called the theosophists. And basically one of the guys saw this 12-year-old boy in India and his aura was the most bright or right every whatever that's there's a story basically they yeah. picked him as the messiah right the second coming um and, wasn't there and, a name or, like the star order or something like that i don't know, I don't know. Okay. I, and, I'm, and i'll get to that that i'm not really a, you know i'm not a uh you know i don't know that much about it you sure. know what i mean but i just know that that but my point being just that with krishnamurti himself you know he had he basically had this falling out with the theosophists yes. so what so but he'd already found ohi and fun, uh, funny enough, part of his falling out was that his brother had contracted TB and, they, and the theosophist said, hey, we'll make sure he's OK. You go back to India and give your, you know, talk to hundreds of hundred thousand people or whatever it was, because it was a very big movement. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he leaves and and uh, and his brother dies and he's like, fuck you guys. You said you were going to you have my back. You didn't have my back. I'm out of here. I'm not the Messiah. I renounce my place as the leader and Messiah of this group. I mean, God, walk away from that. I love that. <laughs> uh, the reluctant Messiah. And, and, but the funny, the, my point being that the funny thing about the story is that he stayed in Ojai. Yeah. What he did do was stay in Ojai. So that tells you a little bit about Ojai, the Shangri-La, the, the true, you know, I think uh, what my dad used to say is I think Ojai kind of seems like when people think of what Southern California is yeah. in their mind, they're probably thinking of something similar to Ojai. Right. Because it's just avocado orchards and orange orchards, very Mediterranean. It's very beautiful. It's dry. And um, and it's been a center for new age spirituality since back then, the 20s, basically, and maybe dating back before that. So uh, there's natural hot springs there. I mean, all oh. the things that, you know, all the trappings yes. that we associate sure. with the with the uh, new age movement. So um, what else about that? So I was brought up in an environment. My parents were hippies. My dad was kind of a beatnik poet, hippie. Uh, he was a draft uh, counselor to help people, you know, so he was into pacifism and uh, nonviolence and those, uh, you know, that was instilled in me. I, I remember sitting in because in the 80s, they, you know, during the Reagan, when Reagan came in, there was talk of uh, reinstating the draft. Right. So my dad started counseling people again in, in, in draft, uh, you know, as conscientious objectors. Hmm. Um, so I sat in on some of those meetings and just had this sort of thing instilled in me about violence and it not being a solution and that, that there's ways to uh, resolve problems without doing that, you know, so. Yeah. So that was the world I grew up in. Um, it was the world of the Beatles, you know. So Eastern mysticism was certainly, you know, the Beatles. When I think back in my youth, I think of the Beatles as being almost like family members. I mean, when they had the beards and all that kind of stuff, that's what everybody around me looked like. And it was just like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, um, so, so that said, um, uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, though, I really didn't have a connection with that. You know, I mean, I, I sort of put the thing in about Krishnamurti just because it is kind of crazy that his house is literally a mile from my mom's house. And, yeah. and I, now I go there and I've sat and I've meditated there. But the truth is, at the time, we wanted nothing to do with it. I mean, you know, we would there. Uh, there was a guy named Zubin that owned the Crystal <laughs> Forest. You know what I mean? And we would just make fun of people like this. We thought it was hilarious. Yeah, and we we're just like these way. fucking new age hippie, just whatever. So, you know, we got into our punk rock thing as sort of a response to that. Yeah. You know, n uh, not really knowing, you know, that uh, that a lot of the ideals of punk rock really did come out of the '60s. Oh, you know, big time, man. Big time. Uh, yeah. But to us, it seemed like a real break yeah. uh, from our parents. <laughs> and we were just swept up by the music, essentially, you know, and it's always been about the music for me. You know, I mean, I like the fashion. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say that I didn't like the spiked hair and the leather jackets right. and that kind of shit, you know, and the and the painted leather jackets and the oh, silk yeah. screening and all the kind of, you know, art side of it. But um, the music swept us up. Yeah. And um, and we immediately started to participate in it. You know, we started bands right away. And um, in spite of the fact that we lived up in Ojai, which was like 
nowheresville um we just went for it nobody was going to tell us that we couldn't do it you know which just never even occurred to us we're like yeah we're going to start a band we're going to do our thing and there was probably like three or four bands that just came out of ojai which is like eight thousand people there's no sidewalks like it's 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 cut you know it's it's a rural yeah. you know, situation so um but we did have oxnard and ventura very close by and then even hollywood and santa monica and those areas so um yeah i mean i feel like that was my background that basically i had all this really kind of deep uh meaningful spirituality and kind of hedonism uh around me mm-hmm. and kind of uh you know wanted to more or less distance myself from it yeah. but it was there and the seed was certainly planted yeah. and you can't grow up in a shangri-la like ojai without getting sort of a sense of of uh of ananda of bliss and that kind of just natural you know wonderment in nature so um so yeah and, and at that time i don't know i feel like i'm rambling on and on no, but at that, know, at that time i also uh got a skateboard yes you know, and saw the complete connection between skateboarding and punk rock about freedom and identity you know i mean i was a kid and i was trying to build an identity basically you know and there was this wonderful culture in which to place myself in, in, in relationship to, and, and, and to be a part of. And, uh, and it was a great identity and it was a great, um, it was a, it's a great community, you know, to be a part of and to be able, and it was all based around participating, you know, like if you didn't do it, you weren't punk. You know what I mean? That was the bottom line. It was like, you're punk because you wrote a song, a punk song. You're punk because you, you know, did this or you did that. So it was sort of this based on participation kind of a deal. Total community ethics, right. For yeah. me, I actually got into skateboarding um, prior to the to being introduced to punk. Though I kind of was in a way, because like I mentioned earlier, I was watching the Animal Chin videos and the public yeah. domain videos. Uh, an interesting story that just came to mind actually was, so I'm like, I don't know, man, maybe eight years old roughly, watching public domain. And I write a letter to Tony Hawk and I get, <laughs> and I get, and it's actually in my bedroom right now. Uh, I have this postcard from like 88 or 86. I don't remember, but it's him like with, with the hairdo and he's doing, you know, yeah. like, I don't know, an air on, on his half pipe. And he writes me back and I, and, and autographs it. And I, to this day still have it. Nice. And so I got a little greedy and I'm like, I want to get Mike McGill's autograph, you know? And so I write another letter, but it's Poor this, choice. I know. No, <laughs> uh, but so in this letter though, I didn't want to be so obvious in my young mind, you know, I'm like, well, how can I not be obvious? So I wrote, and I did ask him about this song that was in the, um, in the public domain video is called weakness. And I, I didn't know to watch the end credits to, you know, see the music. Credits. Oh yeah. So I was a young kid. So anyways, it's by this band McRat. And yeah. they write back to me and they're like, I didn't get McGill's autograph, unfortunately, but they did answer my question that the band is McRad. So I was able to check yeah. them out about, I don't know, four years ago, I'm working on this little documentary series and I end up through a mutual friend meeting, um, Chuck Treese, Chuck Treese man. And I went down to Philly and stayed at his place with him and his kids for the night. And we filmed with him and he showed us all sorts of incredible stuff, man. You know, right. like it, that dude is amazing as you know I, I'm, I'm sure besides mcgrad playing with bad brains and underdog and all yeah. these incredible bands filling in on drums for pearl jam that ended up he was on a seven inch with them nuts man so anyways it's just cool how life can kind of come full circle and that dude though i don't know what his spiritual beliefs are but he is one of the most grounded like yeah spiritual vibed guys i've ever met you know really cool and i think it's awesome that today as I've written about in my books, as I explore different sanghas and spiritual traditions, I have met so many people like us that yeah. came up in the punk rock movement. I mean, there's obviously Noah who did Dharma punks and a number yeah. of other great books. My friend Jessica, who's an actress on Orange is the New Black, grew up in the punk hardcore scene and she's yeah. very much into Buddhism too. And it's it's yeah. so cool to see like people doing this stuff. So what for you, what was the connection or was 
I mean, all right. So for me at the time, I didn't recognize any connection between punk and hardcore and spirituality. Yeah. In retrospect, I can see it as a total gateway of like opening yeah. and unplugging. What What was your experience, or what do you think? Do you see a connection there for you in your own life? Well, yeah. I mean, what you just said for sure. I mean, there's something very spiritual about saying "fuck you" to your parents, you <laughs> know, and 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 really embracing your own identity and saying fuck you to structures um, and not accepting things as they're spoon fed to you. Right. You know, there's also something very renunciate, if that's the right word, uh, something with renunciation <laughs> about punk rock, you know, and the whole like, uh, it's not about wealth and we're yes. going to wear old clothes and we're literally going to wear rags and we're going to spare change to get into shows. I mean, that's a freaking sadhu. You know, there's a very sadhu part of punk rock. You know what I mean? So I think that that that's really inherent in it. it in some ways, it is early Christianity. You know what I mean? That sure. whole renunciation of it. It really is. It's a renunciation of your parents. It's a renunciation of your culture. It's a renunciation of wealth and fashion and your identity in the mainstream culture. Um, it's a very powerful uh Whatever the word for that is, process basically that we go through. Uh, initiation is that what I'm trying to I say? Think, sort yes, of an initiation kind yeah. of a thing, you know. Um, you know, I never had a bar mitzvah, so I, you know, shaved my head instead, you know, and 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 became an adult member of that community, you know, as a 14 year old. Um, so I think that that is very inherent in it, you know, and that those lessons are not lost on me, and. Now, and at the time, I don't think they were in the sense that, well, you know, coming into recovery is when we start to define what I, when I started to define, you know, a God of my own understanding, right. you know, but that's based on my experience. It doesn't mean I wasn't experiencing that God because it is based, it is of my understanding. So I knew that I was tapped into something, right. you know, um, as an identity and as an inner truth and that's god you know that that is god you know um but the other thing that's so potent about it is that the relationships that i built in there and there there's a good reason why i mentioned the death of my friend you know in my spiritual development because that friend i mean i can't even talk about it right now without like <sighs> without getting emotional because the bond that we shared through punk rock and being 13 year olds and coming into maturity or coming into adolescence and puberty and sexuality and getting loaded, like that is my life story. You know, that's my experience and that bond between us, you know, there's a thing in the big book where it says, you know, that that you can't prove God any more than you can prove life. And yet there it is, you know, and then on the next page, it talks about this thing about maybe just the bond between friends, you know, and I know there's a thing I just heard recently. I, you know, I listen to a lot of podcast stuff. I listen to all your podcasts and all that. We can talk about that in a bit. But um, this idea about the space between friends, you know, that that connection, that was something that bridge is something that I got through punk rock mm. and that relationship that I had with that, you know, with that man, with that young boy, I mean, that it was true love, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry. No, man, don't apologize. <laughs> I, I, uh, I can, I can't relate on the loss end of it, but I can absolutely relate because yeah. I was 13 too when I was introduced yeah. to it. And I still have friends to this day that are yes. lifelong friends that I yeah. met in the punk hardcore scene. Some of them, we were straight edge at the time. Yeah. We all inevitably found our way into drugs. Not all, but most of right. us did. Sure. But we most, yeah, we all came through it and we're still connected to this day. And that's yeah. like, that's the kind of community ethics, the family sure. ethics um, that we're talking about. And I lost you, but I can still hear you. Okay, sorry. There you okay. are. No, no, that's cool. Um, 
but but that that's exactly so i understand what you're saying and so i i yeah. very deeply feel your hurt as you're describing yeah. losing him because well honestly yeah. and i mean i hate and sorry to cut you off no, but no, you're good. I, because you're saying exactly what i wanted to say you know and just to say that you know i'm not you know getting teary because of the loss right. i mean really it's it has nothing to do with the loss i haven't lost him he's still here he's yes. here right now yeah. just like this freaking neem caroli baba flannel that i'm wearing <laughs> you know what i mean like he barry is here yeah you know he's a part of me he's of my identity but you're exactly right it, it I, I don't cry because of the loss i cry because of the love that yes. we shared you know and um and, and, and to me, that's that's inherently tied into punk rock and the experiences that we shared by renouncing society and by seeking a truth, you know, together. Right. And um, and to just, you know, to, to and, and, and honestly, because of the love that he had for me, that is uh, is what makes me so emotional, you know, because. Uh, this was just a person that you know, that I shit, that, that, that loved me so purely that, um, that as I got into recovery and got into trying to name what spirituality is, you know, when I looked at the 12 steps and it said, having had a spiritual awakening, I started to sort of go back from there and say, well, what's a spirit? What is, what's, what, what's spiritual, you know, and it's this life, it's this love that we share, you know, with people. And, um, and I knew that God was something because Barry was dead. You know, we can make life, we can have babies, like we can literally create a life. But when that life is gone, we can't bring it back. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in, in so that proves to me that there is something. Mm. There is a force of life out there that 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 is that that is a power greater than myself yeah and and that alone was what all i needed to start to develop a relationship with a higher power you know so there's so much of that story that's tied into you know that th there's the life you know the living life aspect of it and there's the love aspect of it mm -hmm. and those things were so entwined with that one person within the punk rock world you know what i mean like um so um, I feel like that really, you know, for so my experience with punk rock and how I interpret that is that it is this bridge to love, to connection with other humans, to have true friendships, true partnerships, um, along with all the renunciation stuff. So it's powerful stuff, you know, community. I mean, this is the really meaningful things of life. Yeah. You know? And, and you're, saying, you're saying it so wonderfully. And and as you're saying it, of course, it deeply resonates with me. It's interesting how I've tried to convey that. And some people, even if they don't get it or open to it, and other people, though, can be very closed, you know, closed off to that. Yeah, thing. Yeah. What, you know, that screamy, angry music, those tattoos, yeah. like. Oh, oh, the punk rock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's no spiritual correlation there. And it's like, wow, mm. you know, that's all right. And I've learned through the years yeah. that you can't really talk to people like that. In some cases you yeah. can, but they're kind of hard set and. And that's okay, but I I, uh, I absolutely hear what you're saying, and uh, and I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. Well, that I, was yeah. That's what I saw when I read your books. Yeah. You know, and I said, "Here's the guy telling the story. This is the story." You know, I find it funny that you know, and, and, and you obviously go you know within these circles of you know spiritual circles probably a little more than I do with because I haven't been to a lot of retreats and things like that. But um, <laughs> not to but, off, but, but just, I always find it uh, funny that that you do talk a lot about people judging you for having tattoos, and maybe it's just because I live in San Francisco, and, yeah. you know, and 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 you're somewhere else, but you know. It's funny to me because when you were talking about people not getting, it's hard to talk to people. I thought you just meant people that don't get spirituality. You're saying people that are into spirituality yes. don't get punk rock. No, that to me, I just that's a head scratcher. I don't get it because I don't, that hasn't been my experience. Generally, when I talk to people, they totally get it. Like that, this is this truth movement. You know what I mean? And that that's what spirituality is. You know, that's what scientific right. yoga is. Is 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 truth is is uncovering the truth you know i agree um, i don't want it to I, be a blanket yeah. statement just to be clear yeah, no, like, no 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 i just you know i'm just saying the process in my mind was sure. what i you know that 
I, I thought you were talking about people that just like have their eye, their minds closed to God and that word. And, and that happens. Too. And, and no spirituality. And that. that's why I was like, yeah, you can't talk to I mean, what can you do? You just but, you know, that's the beauty. That's what punk rock is, though. We lead and that's what early Christianity is. That's what being a true yogi is. I mean, we just we 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 have our karma and we do our actions and, and, and we lead by example. That's what AA is. Yes. We, we lead by example, yeah. you know, and when, if people want to hear it, you can't say nothing wrong. And if they're not, they don't want to hear it. You can't say anything right. That's right. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But so I didn't say the one last is I told you I'd go on and on. dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I, no I hate apologies. to be so pedantic, you know, to just take this little simple thing and just make it so multi layered. But, it's you know, important. there is another thing here with the punk rock thing that's yeah. very spiritual. And let's face it. I fucking learned spirituality through rudimentary penai. You know what I mean? Like, dude, I was a vegetarian and practicing nonviolence at 15 years old. Same. I mean, yeah. that's heavy Buddhist freaking practice right there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, ironically, uh, much of the spirituality that, that I was learning, you know, was this humanistic uh basically atheistic and anti-god um i mean i feel like my biggest teachers were basically venom and rudimentary peni you know but uh venom with just their really weird supernatural satan worship stuff yes. i mean i read the satanic bible i read the satanic uh rituals or whatever the other anton LaVey's book you know i was really into uh into um what's his name uh dang it I'm totally having a 40 year old moment, but the dude from uh, that wrote White Fang and Call of the Wild. What's his name? No, 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 no. It's not even a spiritual guy. Uh, Well, regardless, I was really into this humanist trip. You know what I mean? And it was about freedom and it was about, you know, knowing who you are. And being true to that, you know, and I think that that is the message of of uh, Anton LaVey in the Satan in the Satanic Bible is, you know, and, and you know, and uh, and then rudimentary peni was such a huge influence on me with the vegetarian uh, vegetarianism and just their complete questioning of politics yeah. and social values. You know, I mean, I was considered myself a feminist and a. You know, I mean, I still do. But, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I was uh, turned on to this whole. You know, what what I see today is very spiritual principles, you know, yes, um, yes. through those bands. Right. Um, I just didn't have a conscious contact with the higher power, you know, at the time. Although, you know, some people would say that my, you know, that I was on a dharmic path mm. because I was seeking the truth right. and I was part of a sangha and it was just a matter of unfolding, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was... There was a, an introduction in a way for me too back then, even though I had no interest in spirituality, I actually went the other way and became very atheist. I hated the idea of God. And yet I was listening to bands like 108 and yeah. Shelter, these Krishna bands, and there were yeah. also Christian bands and there were satanic bands. And, you know, like I was loving yeah. Slayer and Venom and, you know, it, all of it. Um, but you know, it, it, it was still, it, there were ideas that were in seeds that were being planted. And, um, and I appreciate what you had to say about the satanic Bible and Anton LaVey, um, because I've reread a lot of that material and it's not, I mean, it's very flesh based, very ego, very, yeah. if we're speaking to truths wise, um, you know, based on Nagarjuna from the Buddhist lineage, then th- it's all based on the relative, the form, you know, they, yeah. they obviously have no interest in the absolute, uh, side no. of things. Uh, so I don't vibe with it on that. However, you know, it's not all about sacrificing babies and not you know, at all. No. So I, I actually interviewed Peter H. Gilmore a few years ago for my website, who's now in charge of the church of Satan and uh, a very intelligent man um, yeah. was, it was actually a really great conversation. So I, I do respect, you know, that they have their beliefs and that's important to me to be able to keep these lines of communication open yeah. in general. Let's not just shut the doors on each other. Yeah. Let's meet where we can and, yeah. and go from there. And we don't have to agree on everything. That's okay. Yeah. So the other thing though, yeah. unless you had something you wanted to say. No, no, no. So the other thing, and this is something I definitely want to make sure we have time to get into what also happened for me, though, as I mentioned earlier, I was straight edge in the beginning of my introduction yeah. to punk and hardcore, and that lasted a few years. 
very much into earth crisis and you know victory bands and uh and, yeah. and that stuff yeah so hate breed hate breed i mean i'm from connecticut <laughs> i was i was going to the just the 14 shows before jamie started hate breed you know like yeah. i was in several bands that played with hate breed at like anyone who's listening from connecticut at the bristol skate park and and yeah. they would know exactly because that's where we used to have a lot of shows or studio 158 or the tune in all yeah. our local punk clubs um but so anyways, I ended up kind of getting bored with the straight edge thing. I lived in a rural part of Connecticut and and it was uh, my senior year that I started exploring with drugs. And you read the book, you know, the story from there. Yeah. Um, and at, so let's let's talk about you. Where where did drugs and alcohol come into yeah. your scheme of, of life? Yeah. Where did that happen? Yeah. And and just because I, I am 47 years old, I have to say Jack London was the name I was trying to Jack think. London, Jack wow. London, who incidentally, <laughs> yes. gnarly alcoholic. Like if you learn, you know, it's great that we read his stuff in yes. high school and, and it really resonated with him. It yeah. was great. Like I, I got it. I knew what the word humanism meant, yes. like this idea of the call of nature and and, and 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 it really tied into the whole Anton LaVey trip and, and then that whole thing. Um rationalism and that kind of a deal you know but but the ironic thing about it you know is that he was a gnarly alcoholic you know and i didn't learn that until recently you know what i mean anybody that really knows anything about him knows that so you know that's uh perfect man another man (laughs) on the dharmic path trying to you know find the truth and getting sidetracked by booze and no shortage of else is out there so which good segue so the drugs right i mean that was part of the punk rock deal you know i I love talking about punk rock in uh in uh in in regards to alcoholism because as far as i'm concerned punk rock was a social uh, was a was a culture and a social movement based around alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, it had this perfect mix of self destruction and and uh, rebellion. You know, and 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 to anybody who suffers from addiction, I think, well, I, I, that's a horrible blanket statement. But to me, as somebody who suffers from addiction, the idea of rebelling and hurting myself at the like the whole "fuck you, I'm going to hurt me," yes. like that is so core to the alcoholic ex- and and addiction experience. Yeah. And 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 not only so was there that aspect of punk rock, you know, on the broader scale, but also just literally, I mean, fear more beer, like. There was, and to, to, to this day, I mean, punk rock is very synonymous with drinking beer. Sure. You know, and I, you know, and I end up at Thrasher Magazine. I mean, Thrasher <laughs> Magazine is very synonymous with drinking beer. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like, this is part and parcel to this experience of skateboarding, punk rock, and drinking beer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And getting hammered. Yeah. And of course, you're going to be smoking weed at the same time and then whatever else comes in, you know. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, my story is, is, you know, I don't think that it was, you know, anything incredible. I just feel like it was a solution. You know, it's all, you know, I talked to, you know, I've sort of aggrandized this whole experience of punk rock being this big community. But let's face it, I was a pubescent, adolescent awkward teenager and 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 i was learning about sex and it was really scary to me you know and um and i had a lot of fear around that and alcohol was the perfect solution for that not only did it set up a situation where i could enter into sexual experiences but it also took some of the fear factor away from it and beautiful beautiful part of it if i didn't perform well I didn't really give a fuck. You know what I mean? So, I mean, we talk about, you know, this allergy of addiction that we have this abnormal physical reaction. I mean, I think in the big book, it says the thing like, you know, we essentially drank because we like the effect, you know, and until we could, you know, and then so basically if we don't drink it, we're restless, irritable and discontent. You know what I mean? And and I don't think alcohol has that. Uh, effect on a non-alcoholic person like they drink it they get loaded it feels good and they're like hey cool you know what I mean I drink it and I can hook up with women and freaking be a stud and I'm not afraid and I don't care and everybody is cool and it really was a solution for me and a beautiful bridge you know that love I talked about my friend Barry that passed away I mean 
He was an alcoholic. Barry McGill. I mean, you can't be any more Irish alcoholic. Just <laughs> awesome Catholic school. Just all the freaking stereotypes. You know what I mean? But just beautiful, beautiful person that loved to get hammered. You know what I mean? We called him Beer Mug, right? Barry McGill. Yeah. Barry McGill, you know? And it's just like, so I don't know. Yeah. Do I freaking romanticize about booze and its effects? Yeah. Look at me. I'm all lit up talking to them about it. Talk about abnormal reaction. Like I'm like, you know, but whatever. Then you read about Carl Jung and spirit and these things. And when I talked about what spirit, what spirituality, I mean, we literally call liquor spirits. Yeah. Like it had a fucking religious effect on me yeah. and, and I hated God and I was a Satanist. But you know what? I drank a shitload of beer and I smoked my fucking weed and I carved pentagrams into my fucking arm and and I saw God, you know, I took LSD. I mean, I know this comes up a lot and I feel like it gets in a way too much press time. You know, the whole psychedelic thing. And don't get me wrong. I was a big deadhead and and, and my psychedelic i can go on and on about it i torture my sponsees with the whole freaking spiritual psychedelic <laughs> thing and that's a whole other thing but i don't know man i've had a calling you know to to this spiritual side and i think that it's tied into my alcoholism and my addiction mm. that when i do these freaking drugs and that's all alcohol is it's so strange that we've made some distinction between alcohol and drugs because right. alcohol, you're a drug addict, you know, an alcoholic, he's a drug addict, right. like, but whatever I'm going now, I'm going to fucking again. Uh, but in, I agree with my you, point though. being that, look, when I do drugs, I see God, you know, there is a, that is an abnormal reaction as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Like my, and, and the way that I express that, you know, might not be considered very spiritual, but, but yeah, the truth is there was a fulfillment that happened there. There was a transformation that happened there. There was a transcendence that happened there that can be described as nothing different than a mystic experience. You know, I mean, I can't remember what I was listening to. Somebody was talking about this very subject. It's probably some Ram Dass thing, you know, and it's like, you, you know, you listen to people that talk about a mystical experience and you listen to people that take LSD or in my case, drink booze and spirits and you really can't tell the difference. You know what I mean? And and so whatever is that sacrilege to say that is that insulting? Probably. But what can I do but be true to my experience and just say that this is human physiology for me? It's not anything where I'm making any kind of judgment or spiritual statement. I'm just saying human physiology. I mean, and that's the, the crazy thing about taking drugs, really, as far as I'm concerned. They just showed me the apparatus. You know, it's very similar to when I started meditating. The first thing I saw was my mind working. I saw the apparatus for what it was. And I feel like cocaine, nitrous oxide, fucking LSD, any of those things have that effect on me as well, where I just go, whoa, what does Krishna Das says? He says, I was sitting on my bed and I was like, what is that? A thought, <laughs> right? That story he always tells, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I feel like that's what it does. It shows us the apparatus. It shows us that this whole world that we perceive is physiological, is in some sense, just a bunch of organs working mm -hmm. and you can manipulate those organs to perceive things. Yeah. And there's a sense within us, you know, of God, of connection, of belonging, of a meaningful existence that can be manipulated by chemicals. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> like, I don't make the rules. You know what I mean? What am I going to do with that? <laughs> You know what I mean? I do. All too well, so, I know what you mean. I don't know. I mean, I can go through what happened. I can tell you that that I had an alcoholic bottom when I was 22 years old. Yeah. Um, I didn't think that recovery would work for me. My grandfather, I got props. My grandfather's fucking big book. You wow. know, I knew about AA. I grew up with the serenity prayer in the house, yeah. you know, and my grandfather was a huge huge loving presence in my life. But I didn't think it would work for me because he was in World War II. He grew up on a farm in South Dakota. 
and he fucking rode a horse to school, you know? I mean, these were some good woods, you know? Mm. Some fucking white people from the Midwest. I just didn't see how that was going to work for me. Yeah. So what happened, you know? I got a girlfriend, which helped with my acting out sexually, whatever the fuck that means, you know, <laughs> with my demoralizing myself. I got a hot girlfriend, and that filled me up somewhat internally and 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 helped curb my behavior that was really demoralizing me. And I started doing heroin regularly. And like it or not, heroin is a really good antidepressant. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's fuck. Like I said, the apparatus, like it works on the apparatus. You know, it fills that freaking anxiety. I don't belong. Why am I here void? You know, And and the thing that about it was that. I was acting out. I hate that fucking term, but whatever it that means. What I was, I was so rehab and don't get me wrong. I love <laughs> rehab. I spent a year there. Um, but uh, I, I was demoralizing myself through my behavior sexually, especially in other ways too. But um, you know, I could do a little Chiva, you know, and, um, and then just go to the bar and sip a pint, you know, and not act out all crazy. So it had a real practical side to it as well and and so that worked for a while it solved my alcoholism problem I wasn't drinking as much um and eventually you know how you know how the story goes you know the you need more it costs more um it's just demoralizing anyways i went through that process of just wanting to be a man in my relationship with this woman that i loved and I would quit every day. I was the relapse master, you know, like every night I would quit. And every morning I would look at this beautiful woman that I wanted to love and support and take care of, you know, laying next to me. And I'd be like, man, I want to take care of this person. I want to be a man. I have all that good reason not to get loaded. And I would just turn over and grab the Chiva and get high. You know, and it was so demoralizing just to say, look, I'm this disgusting substance that was literally probably brought across the border in some guy's butthole, you know, and I'm sitting here smoking it um, and choosing that over this beautiful, loving, living being that I want to care for, you know, and that was just so freaking demoralizing to me, you know, and to go through that for about a year straight, year and a half, you know um eventually you know got me to to a real bottom um and and i you know there was a few things that you mentioned in my bio about my friend dying that was a wake-up call um my grandma passing away you know i made you know here i am the humanist satanist skateboarding punk rocker i made a prayer to god whatever that is my grandma was a orthodox jew not a hasidic jew but orthodox kept a kosher home mm-hmm. part of a very uh, a big part of a spiritual community and here i am just feeling like dirt like mm-hmm. scum around these people you know um, i can go into the whole story but essentially what happened was that i went to her she'd had the stroke she always loved me, supported me, told me I didn't need to marry a Jewish woman, just find somebody that you love. I mean, those kind of messages, from it was just very meaningful, powerful for me. So she had this stroke and I made this prayer, which in a way seems kind of weird now, but I essentially, it made sense at the time. She was suffering. And I said to God, whatever that is, I didn't know. I just said, please let her die without pain. And I'll be the grandson that she always wanted me to be. She's very into education and all that, you know, and, and, and me being a good, that kind of a good person, whatever the fuck that means. But, um, and uh, a year later, I went back for the unveiling of her headstone, which is how they do it in the Jewish faith. And, um, and I was still strung out, mm-hmm. you know, and to me, that was the, just the ultimate demoralization. I mean, here's the love of a grandmother that wasn't enough to keep me sober, sure. you know? And then, and then six months after that, my friend died from fucking doing heroin, chiva and alcohol. And I said, fuck, the party's over. Like Barry's dead. I lost this love of my life, you know? Um, and, uh, and I tried to quit and I couldn't quit. Like the love of my grandmother, the love of my best friend, my brother from another mother, not enough to keep me sober, you know. Mm. And um, 
that just crushed me, you know, and I still didn't get sober for another six months after he died, you know. So that whole time was just so demoralizing to me. I felt like it's very melodramatic. I kind of felt like I was partying with the murderer of my friend or, you know, oh, hanging gosh. with, you know what yeah, I mean? I like, and, and whether that's true or not, it just, that's how it felt. That's demoralizing. I felt like a traitor, you know, and I was very ashamed, um, you know, and with my grandmother, so much shame, you know, and, and, um, just had no, I had, you know, I'd lost my creativity as a musician. I had no inspiration. I had no creativity. Um, I just didn't see any reason to be it, to be for existence, you know, to be alive. I didn't really want to be dead, but it, it, but it started to sound pretty fucking comforting. So, um, so, uh, eventually, you know, I had a friend that I tried to kick with a few times and he had 75 days sober and I just got the idea to call him and he said, I'm coming over right now. I didn't know he had 75 days sober. Yeah. I just knew that, that, that I tried, that I used him as somebody to help me before to try to kick, you know, a friend of mine, I called him up and he had like 75 days sober and he'd been through this detox and he was living in a rehab and he was going to 12 step meetings like every day and he had a sponsor yeah. and he said, I'm coming to get you. He took me to a rehab. He took me to detox, which I was really afraid to do. Um, you know, go to go into a hospital. That just seemed really contradictory to, to my sense as a junkie and a <laughs> skateboarder and a, right. you know, right. and, a, and, a, and a, you know, ripping and running person. So I surrendered, you know, that was a surrender in itself. Yeah. And, um, and that was the beginning of following an, a new path, you know, of, of making of a transcendent of a transformation for me. So I just did that. And then when I was there, they said, go to this rehab and never heard of it before, never been there before. And I um, and, and I did that because mm -hmm. I was just so desperate, you know, um, because I just felt like I had nothing to live for at all. And um and from there, you know, I love bringing up the point that a guy with 75 days saved my life, you know, and, and, and that is what I mean when I talk about participating in this thing in yeah. spirituality, why it's so important to just get out there and start talking to people, start telling people, you know, what I think God is. Why not? You know what I mean? What I think the Dharma is. Yeah. I'm not, you know, gurus are great and teachers are great, but we don't learn anything until we start embracing and participating in it you know that's how i i don't i don't i don't you know either i mean so the guy was 75 days saved my life i got into a house with a bunch of with 30 men that had less than six months sober and i've never had a drink of alcohol or any drugs since you know so that's the message to me that's why i believe that 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 we truly are all mystics you know that that we have this ability to find enlightenment mm. and to share that with other people. Um, I just can't believe that God, you know, whatever that is, would ever make it so that we couldn't experience that at any given time. I really just don't see any separation between heaven and earth. Mm. It says in the Lord's prayer, you know, in heaven as it is in earth, you know what I mean? Mm. Like our father, whatever your art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you know, whatever, like uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. You know, and, and and to me, I understand that in spirituality, earth means the heart. It means the sense world, this incarnation, but it also just means this spiritual earth is is, is my spiritual life, yeah. you know, and heaven, whatever that is. I love cosmos, you know, and 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 uh, um, that whole uh you know, physics world of sure. astrophysics and all that stuff. But I get it, man. We've been staring at the sun for, you know, thousands of years, knowing that that's where life comes from. Of course, that's our father, our creator, you know, but there's really no separation. That sun is in our heart. And, and, and it's just a matter of tuning into that heart and sharing our heart mm. to where we find enlightenment. You know, I mean, I just can't imagine that there's more to it than that. And of course there is, there's so many levels and realms of it, but to be a true Gnostic, I mean, I think that that's to know. To, when we talk about knowing, and you know, in Spanish, they, they have two different words for knowing. They have a word saber, which means to know cognitively, mentally. And then there's conocer, which means what we talk about when I know a person, 
you don't saber a person, you conocer a person because you know them in your heart, you know, and that's what this knowledge, this Gnosticism is about. It's about knowing God in my heart, yeah. you know, and, and whatever we want to say that is, is our experience. And it's going to come out in the language that we speak right. and that resonates with us. But, you know, a guy with 75 days can save my life. You know, Bill Wilson he only had six six months when he met Dr. Bob. But AA was started by a guy with six months of sobriety. Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> reaching out to a guy with no sobriety. And then those two guys started the 12 steps and started AA. Yeah. Because and and they I and the the thing I love this story, the first they go to the hospital and the very first fucking guy they sit down with gets sober and never has another drink again. What are the fucking chances of that? I know, right? Like, it's ridiculous. Yes. Like, they must have been like, fuck, this is going to be easy. <laughs> I mean, we got it. <laughs> Little did they, they know. Had a lot of failures after that. Yes. And there's a whole story to it. But, yeah. you know, the truth is, I had a transformative experience. And, 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 and I, and I became a member of a community of a sangha, whatever you want to call it, a fellowship is what, is what they call it, you know? Yeah. And that fellowship is based around me sharing my transformative experience with other people and encouraging them to share their, their transformative experience with other people. Yeah. And to me, that's the essence of this deal, you know? And, and, and there's nothing more punk rock than that. You know what I mean? That is what punk rock is. Punk rock is you hear a fucking song on the radio you go, fuck, yeah, too drunk to fuck, fuck the police, <laughs> whatever it is. And then you go share that with somebody else. And now you two are punkers. Yes. And you guys start a band and you put out your record and 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 you meet a bunch of other bands and it just goes out from there. And that's the that's the Dharma. That's the experience. You know, it's not about going and buying the clothes and the record. I mean, that's all fun, too. All that Mayak yeah. sense world stuff is great. I love being in this body. What a great experience <laughs> to be able to have a Mohawk. Yes. But I mean, finding that fuck? balance, right? That's you know? that, those two truths. It, yeah. I'm actually, I'm just that middle path. That's it. That's it. I was just writing yeah. about that actually earlier today. So it's, it's funny you're mentioning it, but that's it. The balance life, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that's what it is. The middle path, like you said. Yeah. So, I mean, man, we're, we're kind of out of time and I'm looking like at all these notes I made, there's like a hundred, not a hundred, but there's plenty of things I still wanted to discuss with you, which just means I'm going to have to have you back on the show. That's, that's all there's to it. Um, cause there's, yeah, there's no way I can quickly address any of this and, uh, and I wouldn't want to, so we're just going to yeah. have to have you back on man. Cause this was a real pleasure. Thank um, you. I feel like we're just beginning to scratch the surface of so yeah. much more awesome stuff so let's call this the end of part one with evan okay. sterling and i know that uh we will reconnect very soon then i know we'll be in touch before that but uh yeah but we'll, we'll have you back on the show we'll get deeper into because i want to talk more about aa um and a lot of the controversy this surrounds that and success failure rates there's we didn't even yeah. really scratch the surface of what you do musically there's a cool yeah. sublime story that i want to hear about <laughs> there's so much that we're gonna you have to google that okay google we'll google <laughs> the ebon sublime story yeah i mean I, you know there's a million more details but yeah. I, I don't know i feel like we really got to the heart of it at the yeah. same time too you know what i mean like whatever we've played in bands and and, uh, you know, the, 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 there's plenty to talk about in the skateboard world and all that I, stuff. Yes. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just really do want to say, if I can do, say anything quickly, yeah, yeah. that um, I just I fucking love what you're doing, brother. You know, in terms of, you know, having this podcast on the MindPod Network, like it's such a beautiful thing, dude. I can't tell you what a gigantic honor it is for me. And also just feels so right and so connected in this thread of, you know, I can't, you know, I mean, the, we all have our story about how we came to know Neem Karoli Baba. I mean, for the people that, that, that know about Maharaji, sure. you know, and I have a story too, you know, and, 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 and just to be able to have somebody to be connected and somehow associated with Krishna Das, with Ram Das, Sharon Salzberg with you. I mean, dude, like, I can't even believe there's a podcast network that, I mean, I can, but at the same time, like, 
dude, it's so deep and it's so sick and it's just wonderful. Oh, and, and Jack Cornfield. I mean, I Jesus, know. dude, I'm just like, <laughs> I get to say something any, in some way at all associated with this freaking fountain of, of, of divinity and Ananda bliss freaking it's just insane, dude. Well, Such dharmic truth that I just thank you. I hey, just, I can't say enough. Well, first of all, thank you for being on the show. And let me tell you that I understand what you're saying because I still look at the website and I yeah. see my show amongst all of theirs. And I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah. I get it. And then Krishna Das performed here in Ottawa a few <laughs> months ago and, and I went and saw him and he yeah. invited us early for the sound check was super sweet. My wife and I went and then we were backstage hanging out. Yeah. And I, I said to him, I'm like, you know, I've I've spoken with you in the past and I've talked with Ram Das and Sharon and all these wonderful teachers, but I've never actually been in person with someone who is with Maharaji. Yeah. And I'm like, I have a million questions and I don't even know what to ask. You know? like, <laughs> and And his response was something to the effect of. I don't know, man. He just attracts all the fuck ups. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, look at us. Here we are, you know? So, well, thanks for being that bridge, though, brother. Yeah. Cause I mean, I get it. I mean, you know, on one hand, I get it. Look, I look at the masthead of Thrasher Magazine. I walk up the stairs to my yeah. desk at Thrasher Magazine to this day. And when I hear people talk about, man, it was the biggest thing in my life, dude, it was the biggest thing in my life. Yes. Like, don't get me wrong, dude. I live a fucking charmed life. I have lived a charmed life. Like I've worked at Thrasher magazine for 22 years. Like I made it, you know, yeah. like, and yet there's this, it just gets better. It just keeps getting better, you know, and starting to learn more and more about Maharaji or Krishna Das or freaking Jack Cornfield and these different Dharmic paths, it, you know, and Yogananda and, and, and even Krishnamurti. Like, I mean, it's just insane, dude. And they really are all connected. Yeah. And, and, and I'll leave you with this, man. I've just been on this trip because, you know, I got the, uh, I brought props and did I leave it out. I didn't bring it in here. I got, um, uh, I got Parvati Marcus's, uh, love everyone oh. book for Christmas. And since I read that, I read it in like two days. I mean, so I just good, put right? the fucking thing down, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I love that it's all wrapped in this plaid and they talk over and over, you know, the whole world is wrapped in Maharaji's <laughs> plaid blanket, you know? And I just go, dude, fucking, Mike Watt, Minutemen, yes. Rock, all the way through Kurt Cobain and the right. grunge rock. Dude, we have been fucking wrapped in this plaid blanket, like literally for fucking 30 years. I yes. mean, this has been our story, you know, yeah. and to come back to the plaid blanket. Dude, I, I wear flannel every day of my life for 30 years. Like, you know what I mean? And you see Krishna Das with his fucking all the rocking the red flannel and yep. shit, dude. I'm yep. just all. I mean, I literally was laying there like Christmas morning or whatever. It must have been the day after, you know, but I'm laying there. It probably was Christmas, you know, and I'm reading the book and it's covered with tartan, you know, yes. with plaid. And, yes. and, and, and I literally, and then I'm doing my morning meditation. I'm reading the book and I'm laying there and I'm just like, I am literally wrapped in the fuck in Maharaji's blanket. It just occurred. I look down and I just, and I'm just all, fucking a <laughs> you know like we all meet it where we meet it brother yes that, that we do and here we are right here we yeah. all are well evan what a pleasure man thank you your enthusiasm yeah. for all of this was uh it was wonderful so yeah. i appreciate you being on the show i will definitely be sure to have you back on because we have so much more to get into and yeah. uh, it was just a real pleasure chatting with you man so thanks for your time and being on the show thank you cool This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.